Today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by an insane, up and down, emotionally charged week of free agency for the 49ers. Holy crap. This thing was bananas. It was bananas. We had to wait the week. We actually, we wanted to post a lot earlier in the week, but so much was happening that we had to wait. We wanted to just kind of wait for the red and gold dust to settle, and finally it did. And so here we are. So Raymond, before we get started, why don't you let them know via the phone, Ray's phoning in today, via the phone, Ray, let us let them know where can the people find the gold cast. You can like us on Facebook.com at the gold cast. Facebook.com slash the gold cast. You can also follow us on Twitter at the underscore gold cast. You can also follow us or subscribe to us on iTunes, YouTube, and Twitch. Twitch, Stitcher, I mean, Twitch. <laughs> Stitcher, all under the same moniker of the gold cast. Like, subscribe, and comment because we like to hear from you. Boom. All right, here we go. It was crazy. It was emotionally charged. 49ers Twitter was on fire. 49ers Instagram was on fire. If you guys were out there, you might have seen me jumping around, posting like crazy all over the place, commenting, talking, listening to people be so upset and then so elated. We literally went from one extreme emotion to the next. And we're going to try and sum it all up in a Goldcast episode. But first, before we get started, the greatest podcast intro in the game. The number one, the Gold Cast intro. Let's get busy. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Suisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host, Raymond Solis the First, baby. Boom. Oh man, where do we even begin? All right, let's just let's start at the beginning. Antonio Brown gets traded to the Raiders. We've been saying for weeks on the Goldcast that this was not going to happen. We reported this forever through virtually no inside connections other than our own intuition and reading the tea leaves as they were beginning to fall. It just looked like the 49ers were not going to. I think I pretty much stuck a fork in it the second Kyle Shanahan said we didn't even call them. Of the five teams that called Pittsburgh, the 49ers were not one of them. But then, then Raymond, it comes out that the 49ers are interested in OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr. Here it is. And then it looks like early this week, this is a go. This is going to happen. We are right there. It, it really sounds like I'm thinking, really? What are they, they going to... I was thinking, what are, what are the New York Giants asking for? What do we have to give up? I mean, this is OBJ. He's younger. He's, in my opinion, less of a distraction. Arguably equally or more talented, depending on your perspective on it. But, I mean, easily, either one of these guys is a game changer for the 49ers offense. And it looks like it's going to happen. Everyone's saying that it's coming down to us and some team from the AFC North and then out of nowhere it's announced that Cleveland the Cleveland Browns the Browns have now traded 
for OBJ. And I swear to God, I watched 49ers Twitter and 49ers Instagram explode. People were losing their minds. I was, it was like the last scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Remember when they opened the ark and all of the, uh, all the, the Nazis are looking at the ark and they all start melting. They all go, ah, ah. they all start melting. Remember that scene? <laughs> that's, that's what was happening online to the 49er faithful. 49ers faithful, would look, they were looking and it's just, da, 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 and everyone's faces just started melting into blood and skulls and screaming. And I just watched, literally, it just broke 49ers Twitter and 49, 49ers Instagram. But here's the thing. Cleveland traded their safety. They traded their first round pick. They traded, I believe, a third round pick. Am I right? Uh, either way, the 49ers did, want, did not want to give up their first round pick. And we did not want to give up. We didn't have a defensive player to trade them. You know, we didn't have anybody other than maybe DeForest Buckner, which I guess you know, they probably didn't need. But from... Afterwards, after that dust settled, apparently the big point of contention was the first round pick. And it just broke 49ers Instagram and Twitter. Now, before we move on to the other craziness, I just want to hear your thoughts on that really quick. What did you think about, what did you think in that moment? Because I was pretty upset. I was pretty angry. But at the same time, I also felt hamstrung because when I saw what it would have taken to get him, the 49ers just didn't have that. We didn't have any of that in place to make that trade. So what were your initial thoughts? What were your thoughts from the initial report? Then the report, once you saw what the trade went down as, what, what did you think? And then we'll go on to the rest of it. Uh, we've just got to go day by day because there was just so much that happened this week. Well, it was disappointing. But at the same time, I knew that OBJ was going to come at a higher price tag than Antonio Brown. He's younger. He's younger significantly, and he's been equally as productive. And in some cases, you can make the argument that he's been more productive. He has dealt with a little bit more injuries, so there is that, you know. Uh, you know, but he's still been still arguably the second best wide receiver in the NFL, despite that. And I think that's saying a lot. So I think it would have been great to have someone like him. He would obviously have been an offensive game changer. I still think we picked up some people to kind of offset that, you know, and, but, uh, we'll talk about that. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't too surprised. You know, I really wasn't. And, uh, I knew that was, it was going to be a long shot. And I knew that the giants being in the position that they're, that they are, that they're in, we're going to be looking at our number two overall pick because, because of OBJ's youth, his age, you know, and he still has so much more to go in his career, you know, pending, barring any serious injury. So, I mean, it was, I wasn't as disappointed as some other fans were, for sure. People lost their minds. They like legit went crazy. <laughs> like, it, it, it was, it was pretty intense. They went super crazy. I'll admit I was pretty angry. I was. I kept my emotions tempered online because I don't like to just go buck wild on the internet where everything is, you know, printed in concrete. So I, I didn't like to go crazy, but I was pretty upset. And then, then the big trade of the offseason came down and we traded Kansas City for D Ford. 
And then everything started coming in. Uh, then we got Quan Alexander. Then we acquired Tevin Coleman. We acquired Jason Verrett, the cornerback from uh, L.A. Then we acquired linebacker David Mayo. Then we got Jordan Matthews from Philadelphia. Then we re-signed Jimmy Ward. We re-signed Mike Person. We, we re-signed Kyle Nelson, uh, Elijah Lee. We, we got rid of Cassius Marsh, Brock Coyle, Gary Gilliam, Bradley Pinion. And then we also are not re-signing Alfred Morris, Pierre Garçon, Rasheem Mostert still is not on the team, Greg Mabin. And it just kind of came flying in a fury after that. And I think the only one I have a really big issue with is Quan Alexander. I don't understand why we made him one of the highest paid inside linebackers of all time when he was coming off of an ACL tear. That was really curious to me initially I think you and I both spoke and we said that our suspicion was that he he laid out the big payout maybe as a carrot to get everyone else in that's like our 49er conspiracy theory that perhaps he had laid this large payout out to him in an effort to show people hey we're here and we're here to spend some money I'm not entirely sure and then it kind of you and I got into a discussion and we'll get into it here for the gold cast but we got into a discussion we started talking about you know, several of the other big payouts, you know, Jarek McKinnon, Jimmy G, and how a lot of these larger payouts haven't really worked out. And it's not quite John Lynch's fault, but we seem to have this, we we have this pattern that I find a little disconcerting, that we seem to be, we pay these guys out for not having done a lot. And then, and so far, none of them have produced, like even Jimmy G, and I love Jimmy G, don't go crazy on me, I love Jimmy G, but you know, we we paid him out a huge payout, and then he tore his ACL again. That's not John Lynch's fault, but it just feels like I feel like some of these guys should have had something maybe more in the middle, some type of you know prove to me contract or you know something a little bit less intense. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on the Quan Alexander payout? Because that one I just thought was a little ridiculous. And it was coming off the heels of losing OBJ. I was kind of losing my mind. And it was mainly just in regards to that. So I wanted to hear what your thoughts are on the Quan Alexander payout. And do you think it's a, do you think our 49er conspiracy is correct or, or now, or what do you think? What are your thoughts? Well, I think, to be honest, I mean, the price was really steep. I, I get that he's he's a two-time Pro Bowl selection on a defense that really wasn't making any impact. So, you know, his production of making the Pro Bowl, he was kind of like their their DeForest Buckner, obviously, at a, albeit at a different position. But what I mean by that is, like, he was really the only player making any kind of meaningful impact on that defense. And he did it two years in a row, which is great. It's super great. But at the same time, I feel like that price to me, I know it doesn't look right to a lot of people. And to me, the impression I get is that we were bidding with another team and the Niners wanted him bad enough that they were willing to overbid to get him. Um, I don't think that was the first offer. I think that is where the bid price led. Um, Because given the circumstances, I don't think that would have been the case with, you know, he's been injured, he's coming off of a big injury, you know, but he's young enough where the Niners were willing to take a really high bet, you know, for a a semi-risky player. But at the same time, at 24 years of age, 
there's a really good chance that he's able to come back from that injury. If he was closer to like, if he was Sherman's age or anybody in, in, you know, the 30, the late twenties or the 30 mark range, then this would be, you know, I think this would even be more scrutinized than it was. But given, given those factors, that to me is what my interpretation of it is. I don't know if they're going to, you know, you never come out and say, you know, maybe it comes out later on, but as of now, we haven't heard anything. But that was how I observed it. I was like, that price doesn't make sense. I was like, to me, it's like, you know, maybe this is because of the nature of the business I'm involved in, but I, I think it definitely stems from some kind of bidding war with another team, and that's why it's as high as it ended up becoming. Yeah, maybe you're right. It was that was just a head scratcher for me. Let's get into the rest of them. I kind of want to turn it over to you. What who were your standouts and what were who were the draft picks that you really that you're really excited? I mean, the free agent pickups that you're really excited about. Well, with the miss on D Ford, I feel like that miss was greatly upset by the pick the signing of D Ford because D Ford. You mean the miss on OBJ? Uh, the miss on OBJ was offset by the signing of D Ford because yeah, he had the back injury that kept him out of the, the season before last, but the year, the year before that injury, he broke out and had 10 sacks. And even after this injury, he bounced back and got even better. So that to me is the sign of a really, you know, a player that's got good fortitude, good perseverance, good commitment is all in on football and even despite an injury in the, in his back, his back for crying out loud, if, if that if that injury was to go sour, he probably wouldn't even be playing. So the fact that he was able to overcome that and play at the highest level, meaning he became an all-star or a pro bowler, that to me is a very, very good accolade to pay attention to because you got to look at the context matters, right? So that's what the circumstances tell me. It's like, hey, this guy had a threatening injury, and not only was able to overcome that, but was able to overcome it and surpass where he had previously left off during his breakout season of 10 sacks. And he had 13 sacks, made the Pro Bowl, is a extremely fast edge rusher. So this, is a, this, is address, this addresses the biggest glaring need we've had for the past two years under the Kyle Shanahan regime, which is no significant outside pass rush. We've had guys getting better on the inside and DeForest Buckner finally broke out and made the Pro Bowl last year, albeit because of, through a substitution, but we all felt he needed to be there, you know, despite the circumstance, because he had no supporting help on the defensive line and was still able to get 12 sacks on the interior of all positions, which is way harder to get sacks on the interior than it is on the exterior. So that's, you know, a, a very, that speaks volumes of his his work ethic and his progress. So D Ford complimenting him on the edge there is going to be huge for us. I thought Jordan Matthew, the numbers look really good for him, but the drops, the drops are, are concerning, not as concerning as maybe if you're a Philadelphia fan, I think you're more, you're, you're relieved and perhaps that was more concerning for them. But I mean, this guy was still wildly productive. And I know some of those, some of those statistics came in garbage time but a lot of the yardage and receptions did not. You know, I think some of the touchdowns did, almost half of them. But at the same time, this guy caught a lot of touchdowns in the red zone where, and that's an area of, that's an area where our offense struggles. So, 
So having a guy like that that can potentially do that, and he's still young enough where I feel like there's room for him to grow and get better and overcome this job thing. You know, let's let's remember that Terrell Owens was huge, had a significant problem in dropping the ball, but and well, and despite that, he ends up becoming you know one of the second one of one of the top five receivers of all time. So don't let drops scare you. Players can get better. And in this case, I feel like Matthews is young enough where he, it's a low risk. You know, we've only signed him to, we didn't sign him to a long-term deal. So it's a low risk, high reward deal. So this is a good one. This is a really good signing too. D4, we have him for the long term. That's a good signing. Quan Alexander is kind of like a, it's a, it's high risk, high reward. So you paid him a lot of money. And if he is not able to perform off that ACL, although I think he is because he's young enough, in my opinion, then that's going to that's gonna pay dividends greatly, especially in the middle of the field. And then the other guy, the one that surprised me the most has to be Tevin Coleman. Did not see that coming. No. I thought that they were going to continue to address the secondary. But when that one dropped, I was like, wow, you have a player that does not have injury history, that is highly productive that played under Kyle Shanahan when he was helping Matt Ryan um, throughout those two years, one of which became his MVP season. I mean, this is an extremely dynamic. This back fits into Kyle Shanahan's system like a glove. So he gives us a three-headed monster that is going to really keep defenses honest. And this was a huge signing for me. This one, to me, stood out more than all of them. I'd say D. Ford is up there on probably the best on the defensive side, but on the offensive side of the football, it's got to be Tevin Coleman. This guy is terrific. He can catch the ball. He can run. He's got good slashing ability. He's got pretty good burst. And he's different than Jarek McKinnon and Brita. He's, kind of, uh, he's got a little bit of both of their skill sets, but he's, I feel like he's – He's more productive than those two backs have been. Although Breida had a really good year yet last year and played through injury, but Tevin Coleman is proven, and he's still young. He's still young. So, and we didn't even switch to sign him to a two-year, ten million dollar deal. So again, we have a low risk, high reward situation where the likelihood of him being productive in this offense is really high because of his familiarity with Kyle Shanahan having the running the similar system in Atlanta. So. I feel like this is going to work out really well. And given the cost we paid for him, it's just going to be, you know, I think fans, all, all of us fans are going to be pretty excited about what he's going to be able to do on the field. Barring any injury, he doesn't have uh, injury history. So that, that's another good plus coming in with this player. I don't know um, how you felt about that one, but that one was, that one really stood out to me. I thought Tevin Coleman totally stood out. Like you said, this is a versatile chip. He has all of the pieces that Shanahan is looking for. He wants a versatile back. He doesn't like that, like just run and grind like the Carlos Hydes of the world, the Frank Gores of the world. He likes someone who can catch from catch out of the backfield and, you know, smaller, faster, a little more versatile. I thought Tevin Coleman fit, like you said, like a glove. I agree. Probably the best offensive chip. D Ford, the most exciting defensive chip. Quan Alexander, I think the most head-scratching from a contractual perspective. Jordan Matthews, I have no idea what to expect. I really don't. His overall production has decreased and his usage rate has decreased over the last five years. 
this could be a situation where he comes to San Francisco and his career is completely revitalized, or it could be a situation where he comes to San Francisco and within eight weeks we're like, this guy was a waste of time. No idea what we're going to get. I have no idea. I will say this, and this is what I will say in defense. I think there's. I think the bet, the bet on him. There's. I think there's a higher probability that he does better than continues this downslide because the downslide has only happened between 2017 and now, and when he was at Buffalo, and then when he bounced back between Philadelphia and Buffalo. But the first three years were highly productive despite the drops. And he wasn't even leading the league in drops. This was not, he was 22nd uh, in the league, so bottom of the league in his first year. The next year he bumped up to 12, still middle of the road. So it's not like Julian Edelman led the league the same year that he was 12th in the league. With eight, Julian Edelman had eight drops, and we all know how that story turned out. So anybody who's, you know, my, my point is, you know, don't, don't let that, you know, don't let that be the, the catalyst for your skepticism on this guy. This guy was still highly productive in his first three years in the NFL. Fair enough, but he's the last, it's the most recent two that I find the most concerning. But to yes and you, to, to yes and you, you know, is we do have a coach that made a third string quarterback look like he was NFL ready at times. So this is a coach that seems to get. He's he's like Bill Belichick. He gets the most out of his players, and and with, no matter what you give him, that offense has been competitive for two years straight. And I would say last year has been its most competitive. In fact, most of the games I would say that the 49ers lost last year was due to the defense being unable to protect the lead. The offense did its job more often than not. So to have these pieces in here, so that's what I'm saying. In defense of Jordan Matthews, I will say that if there's anybody that can get great usage out of him, it's going to be Kyle Shanahan. If there's anybody that can figure out a way to make him relevant again, it's Kyle Shanahan. So in Shanahan, we trust. Yeah, this same, same you could say for Tevin Coleman. I mean, Tevin Coleman's not even – he's very different from the other two backs. Like, you know, Brita and Jarek McKinnon are much smaller. Tevin Coleman's six one, over 200 pounds. So this guy's, this guy's got great size. So – in general, what are your overall thoughts on free agency this past week? I, I, I will just say it was insane. It was frustrating. There was highs. There was lows. I was on pins and needles. But I feel like for me personally, this was one of the most active free agencies I have seen in the last 10 years from the 49ers. What are your thoughts? I would have to agree. You know, in the beginning, I was, felt like they were at a C. And once once they got D Ford and Tevin Coleman, I and even looking at the early half of Jordan's career when they picked, he was one of the last bigger name free agents or veteran free agents that they picked up. I know we we re-signed some guys and released some guys, but I'm talking about just the guys that we that came in from other teams, not re-signing our own guys. Once they got to D Ford, Tevin Coleman, and Jordan Matthews, I really felt like the free agency became a B for John Lynch and it was a C before that, you know, letting our kicker go, uh, letting our puncher go sign, you know, they had signed a kicker before that and then signing, giving a historic inside linebacker contract to a guy coming off of an ACL injury, albeit he had two pro bowls and is only 24 years old. You know, it still, still was not the most um, exciting thing coming out of the gate. 
and once they got to D Ford, after that, everything was kind of down, well, downhill in a good way, meaning that they, they picked up steam and they seemed to really kind of hit a stride and started to really pick up some names there. Um, so I, so they started off as a C, but they ended as a B for me. Well, I don't know. What was it like for you? Yeah, I would say a B. The Again, the Quan Alexander signing and his his payout. I mean, I guess it, from what I'm seeing right here, God, the, I've seen like three different numbers. Now I'm looking right now. The number says it's 14, 25 million guaranteed. I saw 25 million earlier in the week. I saw, I saw 10 million later in the week. I've seen three different numbers for what Quan Alexander's actual guaranteed uh, income is. This is now the third number. As I mentioned before, I saw somewhere around hovering between 24 and 25 million at the beginning of the week. Then I saw 10 million a couple days ago and now I'm looking right now and it's uh, they're saying 14.25. So I have no idea how much effing money this guy made. I really couldn't I really couldn't tell you. So well, if, he, if he gets back to pro bowl form, he will earn every penny. Yes, absolutely. If if that's a big if. I I would give them a B Again, I just don't like this trend of paying everyone these just – not everyone, but just paying some of these guys these ridiculous contracts that haven't really earned them. It's it's so weird. and You know, maybe he's coming at it from a player. I'm not entirely sure, but it – and I know you're supposed to – you know, you are paying people for future performance, but sometimes I feel like we're paying for past performance, but that wasn't even on our team, and I don't know. Again, there is still a part of me that feels like – you're right. Maybe it was a bidding war. I mean, although, I mean, who is in a major bidding war for a, you know, a linebacker coming off an ACL tear that, you know, has had not a bad, you know, a bad career, but not exactly the greatest career. I don't know. You know, that could also be maybe agent manipulation there. To this day, so far, going into year three, none of our large payouts have worked. N- not even Jimmy G. You you can't say he's worked yet because he tore his ACL and was out for the rest of the, the following season. He was only around for like three games. So you can't say that that payout has worked because it hasn't. We only won three games last year. So this... Four games. Four games. Sorry. Four. We, we, we need every win we can get. I can't just be taking some away from us. <laughs> but in general, I thought they addressed a lot of issues. I thought they were very aggressive. I thought... I, I truly do believe that John Lynch wants to win. And this really does fall on John Lynch's shoulders. This is his time of the season. This is his on season, right? His his off season is generally when the games are going. That's Shanahan's time. Well, this is Lynch's time. This is his time to shine. And so far, so good. I am very frustrated. We didn't end up with AB or OBJ, you know, going back to this. Especially if we draft a, th- a wide receiver in the third round, I'm going, well, why couldn't we just give that up for AB? That's a conversation for obviously after the draft. I have one final question for you, and then we got to get out of here. But my one final question for you, Ray Does any of this affect who we draft in the, with, the fir- with the second pick in the first round? No, it does not. You still go edge rusher because you have two edges to rush from. And just getting one edge rusher isn't good enough. So to me, the fact that they didn't give it up, even after signing D Ford, means that the Niners are still thinking that they need pass rusher. And I think they, they, need, they still need pass rusher more than they need wide receiver. St- 
still at this point. Agreed. D Ford's, Ford's great, and he's relatively young, but you still need a fresh body in there. And with guys like Allen, Quillen Williams, and Nick Bosa waiting in the wings, one of those three is going to be available to us. I think you would be stupid not to pull the trigger on one of those people, especially given the need that we have right now. The need that we have is pass rush. D Ford solves one edge in the equation. There's still another edge to address there. We have a bona fide pass rusher on one side. We have a bona fide pass rusher on the inside. And now we need a bona fide pass rusher on the opposite side. Because you've addressed the middle linebacker position. He's going to be ready to go by the time the season starts. You've still got unknowns between Thomas and Armstead, who they picked up his fifth option, fifth-year option, so we know he's coming back. We don't know if he's going to ever break out. So you need you need more help. And they, they addressed, you know, I know they brought in Jason Verrett. Jason Verrett's got some injury history, too. I'm not really too high on him. But, again, it's a – it's a low-risk, high-reward deal. You pay a little bit of money. You get a guy who has played at the highest level, who's kind of in the, in the downswing of his career. But if he's able to stay healthy and get healthier and re, able to recapture some of his previous caliber of play, then that's only going to benefit us, especially opposite side of Richard Sherman. I still would have liked to have seen us get a safety, but... Earl Thomas had way too steep of a price. I mean, the price Baltimore paid for him is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. You do not give a guy you – I mean, you could make the case that we did the same thing with Quan Alexander, but keep in mind Earl Thomas is older. So this is what makes this, the optics of this look way worse. Earl Thomas is significantly older, is clearly in the latter half of his career, and is coming off of two – is coming off of breaking his leg, the same leg, in back-to-back seasons and still gets a pay raise despite that to play for Baltimore. I don't think Niners saw him at that kind of value. They saw him as a short-term value, a prove-it, you know, prove-it-and-get-paid kind of contract, the same thing Richard Sermon negotiated for himself. They saw him something like that. And so Baltimore overpaid. Baltimore overpaid greatly. I think Baltimore... That that deal outshines the Quan Alexander signing by far. Yeah, but there's a part the of me that thinks if we were, but there's a part of me that feels like if we were going to pay that money anyways, why not just give it to Earl Thomas, who we has the experience? If we're going to take a bet on a player returning from injury, why not give it to Earl Thomas? Why not give it to a guy that we know can deliver at the highest level? We're we're, we're if we're going to take the risk anyways, who, who would you rather have? Would you really have whether have Quan Alexander, the unknown of Quan Alexander, or the guaranteed at least the mind of Earl Thomas? Like both of the bodies, we don't know about. I mean, I guess you know. I'm, what do you? Th- what what would what would you want, Ray? If you're the GM, well, Honestly. to build it. The- Build, building the defense, think about it. What was the first one of the first signings they did? They signed one of our offensive linemen. Then they went out and got Quan Alexander because they've got a second overall pick that we know is most likely going to go to an edge rusher. And then they got Quan Alexander to address. So here's the problem. I think they probably could have, could have and maybe would have paid Earl Thomas but because the Reuben Foster thing didn't work out, they had to address middle linebacker. They couldn't just ignore it. They could not. So that was a huge priority 
coming into this free agency. And I think that's why they paid the price that they did because they're like, hey, we get someone who is proven and he just needs to over, he just needs to get healthy again. And then hopefully, given his age, he can pick up where he left off and get back to Pro Bowl form. He did it twice in a row on a team that had no support, no support to really provide him. So he was doing this on his own. So I think that became became a bigger pressing need because they had already invested all of this time and energy into Ruben and money into Ruben Foster, albeit not to the same degree, financially speaking, but because that became a, because that became a huge bus and they had to just kick them off the team and keep that money. Now they, now they had to compensate. Not only did they have to compensate, but they had to fill that void with something better, something that didn't have character flaws, something that had a bit more, of security in terms of, in terms of uh, a playing experience that wasn't getting injured on every single goddamn play. So the Quan Alexander addresses that for the most part on paper. Whether he's able to pick up where he left off obviously remains to be seen. We're just going to have to wait and see. But that was a huge pressing need that took away perhaps from something like the Earl Thomas deal getting done. Oh, Reuben Foster. Reuben Foster, still screwing us. Raymond, excellent, excellent analysis. Free agency, wow, what a ride. Let us know what you think in the comments. Who was the best edition? Who was the worst edition? You guys, let us know. You always do. Instagram, Twitter, or the YouTube comments page. And before we leave, Raymond, why don't you let them know where can they find you? You can follow me on Twitter at Ray Solis or Instagram and or and Instagram at Ray Solis one and you can find me on Instagram at Rudy Solis 3 rd Rudy Solis 3rd, and Twitter at Rudy Solis 3. So concludes another edition of the Goldcast. We are the voice of the faithful. I'm your host, Rudy Solis III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Solis the first, baby. Boom! We'll see you next time. Same Goldcast time, same Goldcast channel. This is, is the Gold Cast.